When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. These last few scorching days of the eventful, surprising, crazy award season. And that's exactly what I want to talk about before Oscar Sunday, the 2023 Oscar season narratives. The surprises, the scandals, the twists and turns, and the trajectories of films and actors. So we started the week with our yearly prediction special with the great Eric Anderson of Awards Watch, so don't miss that. And we're going to continue this week with this. I am thrilled to be joined by one half of one of the most entertaining and knowledgeable awards-related shows around, and that's Mike Barone of Mike, Mike and Oscar, also known as Also Mike. Mike, thank you so much for being here. Thrilled to have you. I'm thrilled to be here. I love the show. And I'm very glad that Eric came on recently and did all the real work. <laughs> and we can just talk about the fun stuff perhaps today. But I just I love the show. You do such a great job. And I'm just really happy to be here. Thank you. I'm sorry, Mike, one won't be on with us, um, but I have understood that you are the important one. That's right. That's kidding. right. Yes. I No, I, no you don't have to be kidding. We, we I say it to him all the time, to his face. No, we're like an old married couple at this point. We've been doing this for five years and uh, we give each other hell all the time. But I love him. He's my brother. He's not my real brother, but he's my uh, my great friend. And we we've been... We've been going strong two episodes a week now forever. It's like a ritual. It's like therapy. It's like church, as Clayton Davis called our podcast. It was the highest compliment I ever got. He's like, guys, this is like church. And <laughs> that made me feel so good because it did. It did feel like a therapy session. So maybe some of that's happening today. Maybe uh, we'll just we'll just have some fun. And regardless, I really appreciate being here. Thank you. And and please tell him that I can't wait to have him on as well. He is fantastic. And, and at some point. The three of us will be able to do something together. Let's do it. Let's get started here. So as most of our, the listeners know, the intricacies of award season, they start basically the day after the award ceremony. I mean, everything, everywhere, all at once premiered at uh, South by Southwest nearly a year ago. We have Venice and Toronto and campaigns and Andrea Riseborough and everything that's happened. And we're going to get into that. But Mike, I want to start on Sunday. Will there be slapping? Oh my God. I hope not. I hope, I hope there's knee slapping because I hope it's <laughs> funny. I once sat in a comedy uh, show and I was slapping my knee and the guy's like, what are you from Alabama? You keep slapping your knee. And <laughs> I was just, I, I didn't even realize I did something like that, but I still do it. And I want to do it this Sunday. I want it to be funny. I want Jimmy Kimmel to, to get some laughs. I want the bits to work. I want the presentations to flow. Please, God, the Oscars need a win, Christina. If ever a show needed a win, the Oscars need a win. I don't want the crisis team to be engaged. 
I want there to be a a mockumentary by Christopher Guest on said crisis team. Like a couple months from now, I want Saturday Night Live to do a skit on this crisis team, but I do not want them to show up at all. Just give me a good show, please, God. Because if you listeners haven't heard, they they will be having some sort of crisis team, which hasn't really been defined yet, but that I guess will be waiting in the wings should someone get physical um, at some point or anything else happen. But uh, no, I'm I'm feeling good about that viewership could be up. I mean, we have blockbusters, we have films that people have actually seen. There's a mm-hmm. lot of talk. So I'm hoping that that's going to happen. But who, in your opinion, has run the best campaign of the season? I mean, be it the funniest, the craziest, why? There are a lot of close races this year. So if you ask me next week, I might tell you, oh, all along it was Austin Butler. Or all along it was, you know, person, this person or that person. I got to go with one of the front runners right now. And it's Guillermo del Toro. I think he has been as consistent as anybody. I look, I would vote for this man for many more things other than just Oscar winner. He is one of the more charismatic, uh, respected artists we have today. When I was in school, he came and, and talked to my classes and I was in the uh, press screening for Pan's Labyrinth at, at the New York Film Festival. And it was like one of those seminal moments. I'm doing what I'm doing now because of of guys like him and because I was a, I was just transfixed with him talking about movies and i i think he has that effect on a lot of people the pinocchio campaign this year has been about more than just his movie of course he holds screenings for pinocchio but he also holds holds talks and screenings for his friends in the business for other filmmakers and he's always pushing cinema he has the bleak house which is pushing genre cinema and he does you know little mtv crib styled uh events on youtube and whatnot conan o'brien just had a thing with him a couple years back with andy richter at the bleak house with you know his horror memorabilia from top to bottom of that place and this this guy is so well respected and for him to actually come into that uh premiere uh on, on the heels of losing his mom and have having such a moving emotional tribute to his mother and 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 their shared love for the story of pinocchio I'm I'm amazed by how he's run this campaign. And I got to say, like, I don't think anybody does it better. Last year, we saw him Nightmare Alley. That movie flopped at the box office. And yet here he was with X mm. amount of nominations. I forget now. Uh, he is just the consummate campaigner and he makes it look effortless. And this is reflected in our predictions, because I think most of us, including you and I, are predicting um, Pinocchio in best animation. We have to, right? Yeah. You have to bet almost four thousand dollars to make a hundred dollars on 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 any on pinocchio like it's not even worth betting on because he's such a a a large favorite so it's it's a year where there's a lot of close races last year there were seven races that were kind of toss-ups 16 of them were large to huge favorites in Las Vegas. This year, there's only 10 large Mm. to huge favorites in Las Vegas. So we have a lot of races that are probably going to even tighten as this week goes along. Mike and I will be covering it on our Oscars morning show. And we're degenerate gamblers. We can't help it. (laughs) uh, But we have fun doing it. While you're on that, what say a few of those closest races this year. Well, clearly supporting actress is is a three-way toss-up. 
And uh, we have no favorite in Vegas for actress, supporting actress, live action short, and doc short. That's a rarity. We have very small favorites in original screenplay. Everything Everywhere and Banshees are kind of you know neck and neck there. Adapted screenplay, believe it or not, Women Talking, All Quiet on the Western Front are very close. Costume design between Ruthie Carter and uh, Catherine Martin, Elvis, Elvis and, Black, and yeah, Black Panther, respectively. There, there's. I mean, even the average favorites in my mind, there's six average favorites, which means it's like a, a one to two or minus 200. Brendan Fraser's considered to be one of those right now. So you can actually make some decent money on Austin Butler. But editing, to me, that's a two-way race between Top Gun and everything everywhere. Score could go any which way. Babylon mm -hmm. is a is an average favorite right now in Vegas. But score, song could go any which way. I always thought that, you know, before the Gaga news where she wasn't going to be there, I always thought score could go back to Gaga. I'm rooting for the boys from Natu Natu. But would you be that surprised, really, that surprised that Diane Warren just finally took it? Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about this. This so is long. the fourteenth time. I mean, she did win the honorary Oscar, but this is—I mean, she really at some point <laughs> didn't she get the guild, like the Society of Lyricists and Composers? I might have that backwards. So she got some recognition already this season. The nomination came out of the blue yet again uh, for a small movie that wasn't even released yet. Uh, the applause from "Tell It Like a Woman" and that movie was—I just was able to watch it a few weeks ago. So. We can we can have some surprises on the night that I'm really excited to watch. I mean, that's that's kind of one of the main reasons we still do yes. it. Uh, when we were younger, we we loved to see the big surprise. We loved to see the big acceptance moment. When I was a little Italian boy, I, I loved watching that little Italian man stand up on the chairs in 1999 accepting oh, Best International <laughs> Film. Roberto <laughs> Benini, Roberto, and Sofia Loren uh, announced his name. So, like, that's why we tune in, and that's I, I'm hoping for moments like that too. And there's a lot of opportunities for up and down the card here, especially if Las Vegas is concerned, and they don't build the big casinos by accident, Christina. They <laughs> <laughs> because they make money on it. So they got the vested interest here. We're going to get back to those surprises because um, I can't wait to hear about those. But I want to get back to campaigning um, this year. Things happen. I was in Venice. We were all covering the festivals. There we had the big things coming out. We had Tar. Spielberg was in Toronto. And what happened between then and now? For example, Papa Spielberg, uh, if you would have asked me then, I would have said this was his year. He really, it's been a while since he won. He's made his most personal film. I would have said, wow, the son, um, they're coming back after the success with the father. That's And that it just seemed to sort of fade away. So I, I, did, I did a little bit of a study on the, on the fall film festivals, and there's still a lot of Oscar winners that get released at these. And I do think that first impression matters. I do think that that moment with Brendan Fraser getting the standing ovation oh. and him breaking down, I think, I think that matters. I do think that Banshee's having a really good day. Tar have a really good day or, or a good weekend. That is at Venice. That always matters because the industry, it shows up, it shows up to these film festivals, especially the prestigious ones. And five of the last uh, 15 Best Picture winners, Venice, Telluride, another five, three from Cannes, two from Toronto. And yes, I think TIFF might have been a high point for the Fablemans, uh, all things considered, because it was a tribute moment for Steven Spielberg at that stage. I, I am a little surprised that the season did not go more towards him in the director category. And it, 
And it's not looking great right now because he's, I mean, if anybody was going to vote for him, the DGA was going to vote for him, right? How many nominations has he gotten there? He's gotten a lifetime tr- uh, achievement award there. If anybody's going to nominate him, BAFTA was going to nominate group. him, right? These are his people. He is like the, you know, the mayor of those organizations and, yeah, he did not perform well, at least his film and his nomination did not perform well there. So it is looking like the Daniels are going to take it. That's where we can sort of see the changes that are in the Academy. I mean, 15, 20 years ago, that would have been a lock, I, I would say, for him. But uh, but things have really changed. Let's talk a little bit about the journey for Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I mentioned at the top. This has been, it's a year since it premiered talk a little bit about the journey with this film which i don't think anyone saw coming at that point yeah at that point it was a it was a nice premiere at south by southwest and south by southwest has been a launching pad for genre cinema for for decades right but certainly i i think the industry has gone towards like a platform release style where two weeks before they're going to put their movie on streaming or in the in the box office They'll premiere it at a festival. That's like a new. I mean, I don't know if it's a new strategy, but Crimes of the Future was a, was a, was a version of this not working from Cannes. The next week it was in theaters and it didn't work. The, the buzz didn't come through. But with everything everywhere all at once, they got twenty thousand per theater when they went on their ten theater opening uh, in New York and L.A. And that was that was a really good number. Now that's not the end all because we saw Tar and the Fablemans also have really strong per theater averages this year and the few platform releases that did happen later in the fall. But South by Southwest, it worked for everything, everywhere, all at once. The buzz was great. And then they expanded gradually and successfully. And it's a wild, it's a wild box office mojo rabbit hole to go down here, Christina, because we have, you know, we have essentially this film performing extremely well for two months like making much of its money and then it keeps coming back on re-releases and you, you look up and it's a 24 is most profitable film ever over a hundred million. I think it's one Oh four right now. And they're going to keep making some money there while also benefiting their streamers or where it's landed on premium television at Showtime, eventually Paramount plus. So this film made a success of itself through its audience it made it it made itself and it really forced people to award it because of how much the public loved it and yes the critics loved it yes the critics supported it but i'm really this is one of those feel-good stories from the first half of the year mike and i do a year-round oscar podcast for a reason because these movies can come from anywhere i mean coda premiered sundance august you know it actually officially rolled out on apple tv plus and two years in a row now we have a you know, first uh, three quarters of the year film taking it all. So I loved how they played it. Everything everywhere in A24. I love how they played it with tributes throughout the fall film festivals and in the winter film festivals, Michelle Yeoh from TIFF to all the way to Santa Barbara there. And they kept it in the conversation and it was just, it has to be there, right? It's just been such yeah. a darling all along. And of course, much has the cast and the directors and everyone around it just made this trajectory last they've been everywhere and they've been the the bell of every room they've been the 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 life of every party and that 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 really does matter i mean jamie lee curtis is 
getting the loudest applause next to Con- Tom Cruise at the luncheon, right? We keep hearing about the luncheon. Maybe someday <laughs> I'll go eat lunch at the luncheon. Well, maybe you and I will one day sit there and <laughs> Let's do worry it. about Let's what do forks it. to use. I want to be there someday. What do they serve? I don't know. I'm interested, but I want to hear the applause. I want to do the applause-o-meter, the battle of the bands at the luncheon and and hear who's 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 popular, right, with the uh, nominees. But she, she was... A huge ovation at SAG, Michelle Yeoh winning at SAG. That's 160,000 voters. So that mm-hmm. that just shows you everything everywhere has performed really well on a large scale, like the Screen Actors Guild. And then on a more niche, I mean, look at where the white guys are, it's probably still in the DGA. Where the white guys are, it's probably still in the PGA. God, God help us all. But on a preferential ballot, it's yeah, still everything won. everywhere yeah. still did well. All the things are saying, no, no one is going to get the butt plugs and the hot dog fingers. And no, 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 no. This will never fly. They all love butt plugs. <laughs> right. They love especially hot dog fingers. <laughs> especially PGAs. Now we know it's confirmed. Exactly. They like the butt stuff. And we the, kind the of thought fingers. that was the truth, but now we don't know. But I mean, now we know. kind of surprised me as well, because to me, that has been the most traditional old white guy, um, go for the money type of, of organization. And, and that they on a preferential ballot would actually get this win was amazing. I love it. I'm, I'm glad to see it. You know, I don't love the film as much as some other people. I'm not going to pretend, but, it, you know, it's in my top 25 on the year and that kind of fits for most best picture winners for me. I mean, I typically, it's like 24th every year, whatever's 24th on also Mike's list typically wins best, best picture. And here we go again, <laughs> but I I'm, I'm a huge fan of the performances, Stephanie Shu and Kihei Kwan. They've been my number ones from start to finish uh, this year in those two categories. I, I think Kihei Kwan's going to take it. Stephanie Shu. I wish, but uh, she's certainly made a name for herself this season. And and Jamie Lee Curtis, Mike and I did MMO Does Halloween, oh my God, three years ago. He's the super fan and he's mm-hmm. brought me into his weird little world. And now I am also a big fan of the Halloween franchise and MMO Screams. We did that as well. To, I'm wearing my stab shirt right now. I'm going to go see. I'm going to go see the movie tonight with Mike. That's why he has to make sure he gets stuff done during the day today because we're going to see we're going to see Scream Six tonight. That's why, God That's why he's us. ditching me. That's why he's ditching. I'm calling him out on your show. So, absolutely, I, I think uh, I think this movie's had so much charm and charisma, and I, and, and I think the Oscars and you can't and wait Academy, for the speeches everyone better than the next and we want those stories right we want happier stories from the academy from the oscars i just think it's an easy it's an easy place to say all right we're gonna have great moments here if if these great people win these great performances win the academy has like a win-win situation like Mm -hmm. kihei kwan Michelle Yeoh, that would be a huge moment, and and yeah, they know it. And, and great, and let's go. Yeah. Um. Before we move on from that, what has surprised you from festival season that didn't make it all the way? I uh, I thought the sun had had obviously the cachet. It had the cast, and then people saw. I I still haven't seen it. I don't like don't to, to go. <laughs> I don't like to go to movies about heavy subjects that get slammed by the critics. I, I might be a snob in that way, but I do worry about the the melodramas. Let's let's just put I, I when Hillbilly Hillbilly Elegy did it for me. Oh. When Hillbilly Elegy, uh, I had to deal with that one and had to study it, and that one got to me. So I'm, I'm a little 
gun shy about going to see all the uh, the big flopping genres uh, or, or dramas, I should say. The greatest beer run ever. I think you know the the Green Book people making that one that did mm-hmm. not land. My Policeman did not land. White Noise Blonde and Bardo. I would say if you ask Netflix personnel. You know, over a few drinks, they would tell you those kind of underperformed a little bit, even though Blonde and Bardo are nominated and they, they're pleasantly all surprised. All while um, All Quiet on the Western Front just surged. Overperformed. Absolutely. Woman King, Glass Onion. I, I, I wanted those to do better at the end of the day. Woman King, Gina Prince, Bythewood. Love and Basketball is a great movie. It's amazing she made such a great movie out of that one. Mike and I revisited it at the start of our podcast. She she's done the action genre. She's uh she 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 directed the hell out of the Woman King and I don't understand why the Academy didn't go for it. Like you you started this section off the Fablemans it felt like the Oscar player, right? And it did not it did not have the legs we thought it would. Uh, I I wonder if it just came out as the it came across as the the last of these directors making a movie about their lives stories that just didn't land at, at the level of all right we have to the meaning of cinema in my childhood type of movies yeah because Roma and then of I mean even uh, Kenneth Branagh and I mean there's a lot of oh please Belfast yeah so. They, they haven't landed that much. I don't know why everybody has to do one. I actually liked Armageddon Time to an extent where James Gray was very honest about his childhood because that family was not portrayed in, in the most positive light. It seemed like he really was no, I liked telling the truth there. And I was glad. And, and We also had Empire of Light, which also is about cinema. <laughs> yeah, we have all of these, you know magical movies about your cinematic upbringing for these old white directors usually usually it uh it plays well on film twitter for a while it looks the part as an oscars contender but historically it they they haven't done all that well so maybe i should have looked and been more suspicious of the fablemans from way back but it, it won the grosch audience award he was the conquering hero coming to tiff for the first time mr spielberg and yeah, it's, it, he he hasn't uh, he hasn't performed as well as you'd hope. Moving on, you ask a good question here in our preparation, and that's the ageless question of what is the most <laughs> important Oscar precursor, and this is a huge part of the narrative that we're talking about. So, what is it? What what is your theory? I don't know, and I don't know if I want to know. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. Christina, but this is the most important question film Twitter has ever deigned to ask because there's like a debate all the time. And some people, some people hold out like it's choice, it's globes, like those people, I, I, I'm like muting the conversations, <laughs> but BAP, typically it's between BAFTA and like the guilds, SAG, DGA, PGA, I think conventional wisdom 
would tell you the guilds might, you know, take it down the stretch with with a DGA being very predictive and 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 if you you know if you tabulate all the stats, my guess it would be the the guilds because BAFTA can kind of go a bit, to, you know, and 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 a bit in the way of being homers is the nice way to put it. They're homers. <laughs> they like to they like to vote for Anglo-Saxon origins and. They did this year in a big way. Oh, wow. Did did they ever? We have four <laughs> separate. We have eight distinct acting winners. We have All Quiet on the Western Front winning heavy at the BAFTAs and everything everywhere all at once winning heavy at the guilds, uh, the Hollywood guilds, that is. And we're going to find out. I think, Christina, people are going to reference this year when they reference Oscar stats in the future, when we're at the 105th, they're going to go back to the 95th and they're going to say, remember when we had eight different acting winners and BAFTA, BAFTA won three of the four (laughs) and or SAG won three of the four, whatever happens. So if it's if it's not a two two split, we're going to hear about this Oscars again. What about in terms of talent and and actors and I was at Santa Barbara and there you could really sit and listen to, I was telling Eric that it was like a Harry Styles concert when Austin Butler came in. I was just thinking he's going to win because this was just, it was nuts in the room. And the same thing for Jamie Lee Curtis. There was so much love for several of them. They're everywhere. I mean, they just travel around like a little talent circus um, for several months. Where What's important there? I wonder if Tom Cruise campaigned the same way because it seemed like it just seemed like from everybody said that he will like own the room at the luncheon. Right. He owned the room at the PGA Awards. He's getting a tribute. He's the the mayor of Cannes. He's given the key to the festival or whatever the hell was the award. He got an honorary palm. Right. So he only really showed up three times in a high profile way throughout the season. And yet you're right. Everything everywhere that group has traveled as this just, you know, a magnetic charisma machine. And they have yes. just won everybody <laughs> over. Every Everyone else has fallen in love with Austin Butler. I mean, everybody. Uh, and he has, you know, he was on the, the awards chatter and it seemed like, it seemed like it was a Beatles concert from the 1960s. I just watched the the get ba- get back. I think it was called the Peter Jackson, and yes, the fanfare yes. was that levels like Elvis levels from the movie. So they he is a star. He is he is a newly minted star, and he's helping people walk up the steps at the SAG Awards, and he's being all. I mean, he's just he's like the gentleman of the award season. While while Tom Cruise is the president, right. there still is that fascination. What are they really like? What are they? And and I can ask you a, a million questions about that, and I want to because we <laughs> still want to know. We still want that next group of scar- stars to be good people in their own right, and and the fact that we get to watch them just kind of in a in a room full of their peers and how they behave. I mean, all that stuff matters. And Mike and I were even talking about it with like an Angela Bassett. She seems like such a such such a good sport even when she loses she's having a a joyful time at the sag awards even after she lost to jamie lee curtis and people did expect her to win she's having a a a fun time and and laughing along with every joke and it just maybe that maybe that matters to some people where she's just a glorious person and they just say they come back to her i mean i've picked her 
belligerently at this point because I just wanted her to win so bad. Uh, and I'm, I'm upset. <laughs> I'm upset that it's gone in another direction. And my punditry hat has told me, of course, it should be between Jamie Lee Curtis, who won the SAG, or or Carrie Condon, who won the BAFTA. But I, I, I literally threw those aside. My, I threw my pundit <laughs> hat off and I... You're allowed to do that for a couple why, of them. <laughs> But why would I? Anyway, I'm trying to get these right. I was I had a good track record last year. It was a fluke. It was a fluke. But I, I'm going down with the Angela Bassett's ship if I if I have to go now. Because we know she's great from the trailer. So even if they did not watch Black Panther Wakanda Forever, she's having the best oh, scene. One of the strongest. Of the year, right? So we'll see, though. But I mean, it is a fact you win a bunch of precursors and also give a lot of really amazing speeches. I mean, it it does help. Absolutely. We've seen that over the years. Then you have something like Glenn Close, where you think that this is just, of course, it's her time. And this and then, whoa, that didn't happen. Mike and I are from (laughs) we are from the great state of Connecticut and she is our queen. And all the Merrill people, just just back off. We love Merrill too. <laughs> don't worry. But the Merrill versus Glenn Close stuff, uh, I don't get to, to a, you know to, to the full extent. But we we love Glenn Close. We wanted her to win for the wife. I, I also loved Olivia Coleman. I was trying to tell Michael, look at she might be better in the favorite. I mean, she's really good. And um, he wouldn't listen to me. So he his heart was broken that night and i don't know if it's mended since when glenn probably not that's why he's not with us i mean that's that's probably probably the real real reason reason. he's still hurting over glenn double n (laughs) yes well talking about crews let's move on to i mean this is a year where we do have some blockbusters movies that people have seen we have everything from avatar to black panther to of course top gun what does this mean for this year's i think I think it means that the ratings will go up. I don't know if it's the entire reason for why the ratings will go up. We've seen a bunch of award shows from the Grammys to the Emmys have a tick up in the numbers and the Nielsen numbers. I do think that's pandemic related. And I hope that uh, it's, it's, it's a good sign for the business. I hope it's a good sign for what Mike and I want to do the year round. And I, I, like I said, I hope the Oscars get a win and the ratings do uh, increase uh, Top Gun, Maverick, Avatar, The Way of Water, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Are they in contention for a ton of awards? Does the casual viewer know this? That's the question I've been asking a lot of people, because when the cited examples of Titanic winning and the Lord of the Rings Return of the King winning and and boosting the ratings into the 40s, into the stratosphere, back when people were still all on cable and, and all watching on Oscars night. People knew going in that those movies were going to win a handful of awards, right? Even if they didn't know Titanic was going to win in 98 they knew it was going to win its its share of awards. They they knew the, the Return of the King was, was being coronated. That thing was sweeping. Mm. But does this compared to that i i don't know i i would guess that these oscar ratings i don't want to jinx it knock on wood which i means i knocked on my head i think they'll go up a little bit but uh I, i'm still a little worried I, I i think ultimately the oscars need to be simulcast and they need to go to the audience again if they want that big gaudy number they need to go to the audience again and be on streaming be on youtube be on 
all everywhere they can be because that's how you're going to grow the tent and i wonder if it's it's taking a lesser money deal down the line hopefully that museum's making some money but the the academy mm-hmm. may have to take a lesser money deal someone who's going to broaden the telecast uh, into several mediums well considering how good the sag awards were on on which their sort of first netflix approach that they were on the netflix on the right. youtube channel um and it was a great show you know no speeches were cut there was no ads and it just flowed and i think well i liked it a lot um, i have a feeling that that could be eventually when the abc contract is up yeah we could see the oscars heading to netflix or a stream i'm so curious at what sag's gonna do next year on netflix and i hope they keep the youtube component i understand that they're all about the exclusivity on their streaming that's how they've made the big bucks over at netflix that's how they've gotten all the subscribers but for something like this they might be able to grow the brand better and i have not looked at the sag numbers on youtube i mean we can see them if we just click around i don't know if they're much higher than they were after the the broadcast but the broadcast numbers were pretty darn good they were close to a million right so and that they did less than a million the pandemic year they the last time they were on television, they did less than what YouTube did. So that's a that was a good sign, I thought. But do you see more blockbusters being nominated the coming years? So I do believe that the industry is still putting a lot of eggs in that basket. So if they're getting better at making the tent poles, yes, I could see this happening going forward. I think that... The mid-budget movie, the low-budget movie is becoming more of a streaming thing, unfortunately. Even though, like you, I'm at every festival I can be at. I'm trying to you know, push these movies whenever they're a hit. And I'm thrilled that and Everything Everywhere is, is, is in this mix and really leading this race. Because it, it, it is one of those low-budget films, $12 million, and it made 107 or wherever it's at right now uh, in terms of budget to, to gross. And... My worry, though, is that that's going to become a prerequisite for the future. Like Coda's got to, Coda's got to do really well at a festival, or do really well on streaming, or everything everywhere's got to do really well on, on uh, uh, at the box office over months uh, of release time before it's in that serious consideration. Whereas in the past, we have seen festival players, we have seen long tails on the end of best picture box office runs right we've seen moonlight end up with a multiple of whatever it ended up with it was a very small budget made you know 100 million or whatever but we we even saw the the king's speech that's a mid-budget movie right makes 50 something million before the nomination and i just looked at box office mojo this morning and it made 70 something million after the Oscar nomination on January 25th back then for a February 27th Oscars. And it stayed in theaters, making something like 650 million worldwide. <laughs> these movies. That's not happening. These today. <laughs> movies had huge uh, runs at the box office, long tails at the, as the Sony Pictures Classics guy like to call them. Uh, and, and, it, and it mattered in the sense of a hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars at the box office. Right now, we see some nice profits from the whale, right? We see some nice profits from the Banshees. We see a 2x multiple on films like Triangle of Sadness. The Fablemans lost money in theaters. I hope it made, made it back with PVOD. Tar and Women Talking played really well in New York and L.A., but they have... 
what did they make? I don't know. And the problem with the problem now is that we're seeing the windows shorten and close and the patient, I don't know if it's a patience issue. I don't know if it's the, the season's too long and you can't capitalize on, on the same old windows and they're misplaying some of these release dates, but something like tar, when you have a lead actress contender, like, like Kate Blanchett, that should make 50, hundred million at the box office in the old days it would have and you know the same could be said for women talking that would maybe it would be a modest hit but it would still be a hit now you're relying on women talking getting the rentals the pvod the six dollar rental right now and that's a shame because that's a that's a great movie that should be seen it's the 12 angry men of of our time and and i'm just bummed out by that Moving on in our uh, Oscar year here, what are the biggest scandals that you've seen 22-23? Well, BAFTA, unfortunately. BAFTA, I don't know what they were thinking. There's definitely a disconnect between their jury slash chapter nomination process and what their their group is watching because they they clearly picked from a few films. They picked their winners from a few films and – you know, it makes sense because that's what they nominated in best film because they can all vote on best film. But whatever's going on with their juries and their chapters, they're not nominating movies that the rest of the organization will embrace. So I am worried about BAFTA. I don't think it's working that the, the the structure that they have, and and it's a shame because we we want to be past these issues. These issues of representation and inclusion are just a pox on what we're trying to do here. Because of course, of course, having diversity in your nominations is right. It's righteous. It's true. The best film achievements of last year were not all created by white people. Simple as that. I'm saying this as a white guy who loved his white guy movies like Top Gun last year. I love my white guy movie like Top Gun. I am white. I'm a dude. That is a fun white dude movie. Great. There are so many great movies last last year made by so many great people. And the BAFTAs kind of going into the Homer lane was just it was as it was as aggravated as Mike and I have, have been on a podcast. And I almost wish I almost wish we didn't air that podcast because we were just <laughs> yelling incoherently and I think we cleaned it up the next episode. But anyway, that that's the biggest scandal for me. You have to let it out. Yeah. <laughs> and then of course we have Andrea Riseborough. Where are you at that scandal? We've talked about it a bit on the show before, but I don't know, Christina. And I, I would ask you, you might be plugged in better than me. I, I don't want to come here and, and throw around a bunch of accusations because I don't know. That's the truth. I worry that the minor infractions, it seemed like they went on a crime spree of minor infractions, if that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good name for the new Nicholas Cage. There you movie. go. Uh, crime spree of minor infractions. I would, I would buy Cage. a ticket. I would buy a ticket immediately. <laughs> Uh, he's he's in he's in the he's in the zone right now, <laughs> uh, as he's been a few times in his career. But yeah, I I think there was an email thing. They had too many email blasts in a week. I think there was a social media Twitter thing where they were kind of calling out other nominees, other contenders, which they're not supposed to do. And I think they got caught having a few functions without screenings attached. Which again, I think there's a couple minor infractions involved there. The bigger issue to me is that when we were getting wind of the Andrea Riseborough 
campaign, right? When we were getting wind of Kate Winslet and Ed Norton and all these people that we love and respect, you know, shouting from the rooftops how great a performance she had. Kate Blanchett at the Critics' Choice Award. Andrea Riseborough should be here. We loved, we loved hearing that because, and it was true. When you watch Two Leslie, she delivers a tremendous performance, and that's an underseen film. I'm glad that movie got attention. However, it seemed like a grassroots campaign. It seemed genuine. And then when you when you hear all the reporting from Vanity Fair to Variety to THR to IndieWire, and I, I got stuck down those rabbit holes reading everything I could, I worry that it was just this big orchestrated thing where they went hard for a week and you had political operatives <laughs> involved because the manager for Andrea Riseborough, Mary McCormick, I think it was, her family has been running for office for how many years she was on the west wing or whatever and 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 isabel c isabel c of be kind rewind was on our show and she put out a great video on the andrea riseborough situation she's actually much less suspicious than i am where she's saying hey Mm -hmm. this movie is probably if they broke some rules maybe they bent or maybe they didn't break them they bent them the same way that perhaps every oscar campaign has ever bent those rules right yeah, I think that's the feeling a lot of people have in, 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 in terms of this. But at the same time, look over their campaign rules and see what actually happened here. As an Oscars pundit, though, when we see someone who gets all the precursor noms miss out, that's a relative rarity. It, it does happen. It mm-hmm. happens every year. I mean, we see we actually saw it a couple times this year, right? But when you get most, if not all, of the precursor noms, it happened last year with Gaga, I believe. Anyway, maybe she had one miss. When you get most of those, you typically nominated. And this year we had two two actors with most of the noms. Daniel Deadweiler missed one. They both missed in the same category. So it's just a bad look. And I worry, I worry that they kind of whipped the votes. I'm not saying that it's like Mr. Segretti. I just watched all, all, all the president's men again. It's one of my favorite rewatches. I'm oh. weirdly transfixed by that film. I, I did not like it the first time I watched all the president's men, but I, I kind of come back to it every year and the whole rat effing thing by the Knicks, by the Nixon dude. I just picture, yeah. I just picture Mary McCormick talking to, to him on her couch and be like, wow, you really, you really see, this is a huge, yeah, I have to, right. We gotta, we gotta program a year's worth of uh, podcasts on, on something. Right. Right. Christina. I don't know, but my, my look at my tinfoil hat is, is next to my bedside. Sometimes I put it on and I'm, I'm, I'm worried. Uh, let's just say that. Well, it did stir up a lot of feelings, and um, we'll see what what happens and how they deal with it going forward. So now we've reached sort of the nomination stage that's come in January. When this came, what were the biggest surprises for you? Well, and I'm assuming Andrea Riseborough is one of the big surprises. Absolutely, like I was pleasantly surprised by a Brian Tyree Henry of Causeway getting in. I I didn't mm. believe that enough people saw the movie. Judd Hirsch of the Fablemans that was one of my favorite like cameo level performances this year. My co-host does not agree. He loves Judd Hirsch. He's a Taxi fan going way back, but he did not. Anyway, I'm an ordinary uh, ordinary people. I believe was his film where he was a psychiatrist. Anyway, uh, I love I love Judd Hirsch and glad he got nominated there. 
the sea beast was fun. A house made of splinters. And yes, Andrea Riseborough. That was a gasp in the room. We heard that, you know, when they nominated her. So those were surprises. Uh, Danielle Deadweiler, Claudio Miranda, Top Gun Maverick, Viola Davis, of course, Hilner, Hilder. Yeah, that Claudio Miranda didn't get in, which I was shocked over. Right. 20 something critics association wins. Jazz Tanke, who we just had on, she's like, yeah, we're picking. For the Artisans Awards, we're picking who we think is going to be in the Oscars mix. And they were eight for nine in terms of the Artisans Awards tributes this year. Claudio Miranda was the ninth who actually did not get an Oscar nomination. So she she had a good hit rate otherwise. Uh Hilder Guanastater uh of women talking. Now that was that was that that yeah, that was... score I is still in my head. I mean, haunting yes. me. And I loved it so much. And I, I maybe it was just the one melody that they didn't get past. They wanted more. I, I'm a little surprised by that. I thought it should have been there. Yeah, that, that was weird. I mean, I don't know if it has to do with that there was conversation about that she wasn't eligible for Tar because there was so much original music in that and it sort of got mixed up. I don't know. That was very weird. My husband is a screenwriter. He writes to that from Women Talking. It's just an amazing um, piece of music. That was strange. Yeah. We talked a little bit about it, but were there any more big upsets or surprises from you than from all the precursor awards and, and critics awards? Well, last week, or two, was it last week? Time just is a flat circle uh, when you're yeah. doing this sort of thing. <laughs> but Jamie Lee Curtis winning over both Angela Bassett and Carrie Condon. I did not expect that. I know I knew it was possible. She was running third for a while there she, when Mike and I were predicting the noms she was pretty safe in, in our minds and and yeah she is the legacy vote that I thought was going to get split with Angela Bassett so I was actually predicting Carrie Condon for a while because Jamie Lee and Angela Bassett might split that uh you know she, she's overdue vote but she she winning there and and having such a Jamie Lee Curtis styled speech was so cool. I just thought she was the coolest. I I want I wish I could hang out with Jamie Lee Curtis. So that that was great. Obviously BAFTA, Barry Keoghan over Kihei Kwan, all quiet winning seven. Oh my god, seven. I mean I get it. Fourteen nominations, seven makes some sense. It's half of them, but director, sound, and score were particularly surprising to me at the time. Even though that score is memorable, I remember that all quite on the Western Front score. I know you don't, you don't love it yourself, but it was unnerving. No. <laughs> it's, you know, techno piano, like you said uh, in a previous episode, is wild. Uh, it's jarring, but I don't know. It, it worked on me. I was, I was into that movie for for the score. The choice. Critics' Choice picking Tar an original score. Would you, I mean, honestly, would you really be surprised if any of the five win original score this year? I, I think uh, Babylon, Justin Hurwitz playing over the trailers right now for it the Oscars. It could be anyone. The music and everything everywhere all at once is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It's memorable. I, even the, uh, oh my God, what was the pop, the pop band, the story of a girl? I saw Unlocks. Yeah, but there's also the 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 song within the movie that keeps getting referenced, like mm -hmm. the, just the poetry of it, the lyric. Anyway, uh, absolutely, story of a girl. I believe is the name of the song I was referencing it the other day. I love the music and everything everywhere all at once. I love David Byrne. Uh, you know, of Talking oh. Heads. I'm a Talking Heads guy. Me and Ryan McQuaid bond over Talking Heads. We do this. Well, I, I'll be. I'll come and join you. <laughs> I, I I loved the '80s parties when I was in school. I'm an '80s baby, and and yeah, that's that's my jam still. I don't care who knows it. And uh, yeah, let's rock out on Talking Heads someday, Christina. But yeah, original score could go any which way. 
And um, editing when when everything everywhere won over Top Gun initially, I was surprised because I, I felt like Top Gun was the quintessential academy pick and it was splitting the season with everything everywhere but now everything everywhere is taking the command in that category i would i would still be curious if it and i wouldn't be shocked if it went back to top gun at the end of the day this is a very hypothetical question but what do you think could be i mean there's always incredibly fun surprises at the oscars i mean that we did not see coming um what do you think could be this year I'm holding out hope that Diane Warren could shock us. <laughs> I'm holding yeah. out hope that uh, that we could get, uh, you know, just a, a fun win like a Mandy Walker. That's that's been long overdue. Elvis. She, but but both those they won a Guild Award, so it's not. She'd like, be the first female cinematographer to win. Absolutely. Would, yeah. uh, I'm I'm a big fan of Martin McDonough going way back. Uh, you know, I love his screenplays, even though some of them are evil. Like the fruits of the devil, evil, <laughs> but I mean they're to a point, uh, or, or to make a point, and 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 I, I've always thought I'm going for banshees in screenplay. I look, it makes sense, right? It's always been that you know, challenger of the best picture category that wins it. Last year we saw Kenneth Branagh win it. You know, Eric Anderson was making great points about that, and I. How many BAFTAs has he won? He's won several BAFTAs without getting an Oscar. So that that would it does seem like he's overdue uh, with the Academy. And the mm. the screenplay is perplexing, uh, to say the least. The Banshees have been a Sharon, but God, is it uh, is it memorable and it's lyrical and all of his. I mean, even Three Billboards, which is a movie I didn't like initially, I rewatched a ton because I just like could listen to the the, the dialogue. It just it has this quality mm. to it. So. I'm a big fan of him as a screenwriter. Ruthie Carter, I, I went on a I went on a Spike Lee movie binge when I was in college. And I've always been uh, I've always Legend. been a Ruthie Carter fan since then. And the fact that she, I mean that that Queen Ramonda costume, one after another, just those costumes, just for her, just for her character of uh, the Angela Bassett character there stunning stunning costume work i don't care who you are i don't care if you're a, a slave to the period costuming but i i just think that like that's the type of look that just floors me and i think is a superlative and i agree with the critics when they picked her at the critics choice awards and i am so mad at that that's going to elvis though yeah i, I think do. so too because Catherine you know martin. Catherine martin she how many decades worth and that's what i predict i predicted mm -hmm. uh elvis but uh Look, I'm I'm holding out hope. Maybe a Stephanie Shu or even a Ryan Johnson. I'm kind of a big fan of Ryan Johnson going back, but uh, at the same time, I'm predicting Sarah Polly Stillum. Uh, I'm predicting. Oh, I hope so. Women talking, and I'm 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 happy about that because again, what a what a movie that just keeps you glued to your seat, just based on the dialogue. It's very. It's very theatrical, as in plays. Theatrical that just you're, you're transfixed. I loved it. Is there any way that Everything Everywhere won't take Best Picture? It's possible. I mean, you're looking in Vegas. Yeah. What does Vegas say? What is the... Here's the thing. Best Picture has been close for years. So when I say that Everything Everywhere All at Once is the shortest favorite or the, the heaviest favorite, 
it, it's not saying that much because we haven't had a lot of heavy favorites in best picture, but it's minus 700 right now. So you have to risk $700 to win a hundred. You'll get $800 back if you bet $700 oh, wow. on everything <laughs> everywhere. So it's really not a worthwhile bet, but you'll make like, if you put $10 on all quiet on the Western front, you'll make 160. So you'll make, you'll make 16 to one, you know, odds on all quiet on the Western front. That's number two. Top gun has been 20 to one, 25 to one forever. I almost put some money on top gun. I almost was like, oh, let me just throw a hundred bucks on it a few months back. Cause I was like, I don't know. There's a lot of white guys in the Hollywood. Maybe they love the white guy movie as much as I love the white guy movie. Cause I'm a white guy, but I don't know. I mean, it's it's the coolest movie of, since 1986 to me. But what does that mean to the Academy? So I, I I think it's a possibility. I think the Banshees, I think Tar, they have puncher's chances on a preferential ballot, perhaps. But I would genuinely be shocked if Best Picture went in those four. Yeah, we've seen some surprises in the past with Best Picture. Crash. That that was like a toxic veto, though, right? Getting overbroke mm-hmm. back last minute there. I don't remember the Apollo thirteen loss to Braveheart. I was too young, even though I I kind of half remember watching that Oscars. I think you know where I came online with the Oscars was the year after with Forrest Gump. I remember that one. Otherwise, I I mean we've had uh, the Moonlight win, but Moonlight had more evidence earlier in the season. Oh and- yeah. Everyone keeps taking that as an example. I, I keep remembering that it had we were vacillating between the two. It wasn't right. like it was a huge surprise coming from a corner we didn't see. Absolutely, and they they won the Globe. I thought, and mm-hmm. anyway, I've done this these stats out before. But you're right, and and Crash was on you know some momentum from from SAG, so it wasn't. Like it came out of nowhere. Top Gun would truly come out of nowhere. All Quiet on the Western Front would be the one, you know, situation here where there's some evidence and we can see it, and it would just show us forevermore that BAFTA is the most important yeah. precursor. God help us. So there's just you can give All Quiet its three Oscars. It's probably going to get three. I'm seeing maybe a couple more. You can give them there. You can give Banshees. I mean, Carrie Condon, right? She's right there. Martin McDonough's right there. Maybe Carter Burwell pulls a, pulls the score out, and and they get their three. Uh, Top Gun sound editing, maybe original song. I always kind of had a sneaking suspicion Gaga might get it at the end of the day, but she's not going now. So does that hurt her? She announced it yesterday after the voting closed, though, which might have been savvy. Anyway, yes. I think uh, I, I I think. I'd be surprised if Best Picture was a surprise. I guess I did to, to finally close out that thought. Me too. And and fine by me. Yeah, <laughs> this will be great. That big, so. let's, let's all cheer everything everywhere. But finally, Mike, I have to ask you because you guys are on this ball every two times a week. I mean, I'm sure you're already looking forward. What are the first three movies you see that we're going to be talking about for Oscar the Oscar narrative special 2024. Well, Netflix has got a lot of cool movies this year. They have, uh, they have Shirley, they have the Coleman Domingo vehicle. What remind Rustin? They have the killer from David Fincher. I'm a big Fincher fan going way back from my sins. I'm a big Fincher fan. Uh, and I think me too. Yeah. I can't help it. And I love him. And they, they got a lot of big movies, obviously killers of the flower moon, Martin Scorsese, 
we're thinking about a rewatch series, Mike, Mike and Marty. I mean, it, it sells itself. So, you know, I am this Italian. I can't help it. I might have to do it. I went to school in New York City. I've lived in New if, York City. If you need a Mike, Mike, Marty and Christina. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. So Mike, Mike, it might happen. And what Oppenheimer? Absolutely. Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan. I'm a little weirded out by how scary those trailers look. I mean, he's doing the, oh my God, I'm going to blow up the world face for the entire trailer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that note is being hit a little hard, but I guess like Al Pacino says, if you can hit the high notes, sing loud, and he's singing loud there, so I'm okay with it. When you look at Opp- Oppenheimer pictures, like that dude is so calm. He doesn't look like he works on bombs for a living, especially atomic ones, uh, when you look at the historical man's pictures. But uh, of course, there's uh, Bradley Cooper's movie, I forget off the top of my head. Maestro. Maestro, thank you. So, th- uh, again, yeah, Leonard Bernstein. Uh, so, yeah, I'm sure uh, when I. We need more. We need all the maestros every year, a new one. Yes. So, <laughs> shameless plug here, though. Mike and I do a year in preview series where we basically take a month and we talk about the next year's Oscars. And on every other episode, we, we go down the list. We even do it out by studio of what we hope is coming, what is coming. And it's it's a labor of love, but is hopefully going to give you the entire field of what's coming next year. And I thank you for letting me shamelessly plug that. Tell everyone where also keep, keep plugging where they will find that, you know, where you are, if you're on Twitter, everything we need to know. Well, thank you uh, for having me today, Christina. This has been a blast and I really appreciate it. We are at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Otherwise we're Mike, Mike and Oscar everywhere. Spell out the A and D put two commas in the, in it. And we are easily found. I hope no, we don't have a website yet. We've been, it's like the, uh, the winds of winter from George R. R. Martin. We've said that we're going to do a website forever, but bottom line is Mike and I just love doing the radio show. We just love having conversations about the Oscars for an entire year. Yes, we will branch off. We'll do our rewatch series. We will do our horror stuff. We are both big horror movie fans and we did MMO screams last year. We, we did Easter eggers this time last year of Robert Edwards <laughs> re- rewatch series, which was fun and short. And, and, and we had a blast with that with Kenzie and at Oscars uh, central there and, it was it was a fun time and yeah so we'll we'll have to do some fun stuff mike mike and marty certainly on the table right now but uh yeah we we love it and uh, we really appreciate you you having us on and and your people are our people so this is this has been long overdue that we we got together and we'll have to have you on mmo christina yes and tell mike that of that we missed him and that um when he's over the whole glenn close trauma <laughs> he's welcome to come on oh, but no, i understand no. that you know that takes time and and you know we'll be waiting you forever can't Christina. Rush that no, kind of thing oh no, you have to rush you have to push him no it, it'll be taken forever i don't think he's he is a man who who holds his grudges he is a he is i mean the only way Mike Mike and Oscars ends and when it actually ends is the Banshees of Inna Sharon's script. I mean, that's just, just I'm, I've, I have actually, I have taken peace in this fact. I hope he's not cutting any digits off. I, for... I, look at, I just, there's only one way we, we go down. We go down hard in that fashion. <laughs> anyway, but, but in all seriousness, next time you're on, I hope you guys are both on, but thank you so much. I know you take, this is taking time from your busy schedule and, and I really appreciate it. Oh, I, I had a blast. This was so much fun. I, I wish I didn't have to go back to the busy schedule. I wish I could just stay here. So thank you, Christina. Yeah, me too. Thank you. <laughs> Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, 
that's a hard no about saying no and setting boundaries so you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor, so while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.